This is Broccoli. Content that's good for you. Hello and welcome to Your Broccoli Weekly. I'm your host, Diora. In today's episode, we're talking about the impact of COVID-19 on the economy and our finances. While we struggle to deal with the realities of the pandemic and life in lockdown, many have been wondering what this means for our economy. The economy is extremely important. It's the system of trade and industry by which the wealth of a country is made and used. Quite simply, a healthy economy is the thing that allows us to survive and thrive as a society. The shock to the global economy from COVID-19 has been more severe than the 2008 global financial crisis and even the Great Depression. Earlier this week, a UN study said 81% of the world's workforce of 3.3 billion people that had their place of work fully or partially closed because of the outbreak. In the UK, the pandemic has seen consumer demand collapse and many businesses forced to close or significantly reduce operations. Workers are losing their jobs at a startling rate, with nearly 1 million people applying for universal credit in the last two weeks of March. Job sites LinkedIn and Indeed reported that by the end of March, hiring and job posting had fallen. Consumer spending is down because everything's closed and the property market has slowed significantly because no one wants to buy a house in the middle of a pandemic. But it's very difficult to predict what will happen to our economy and traditional forecasting methods have become irrelevant as we've never seen anything like this before. Nevertheless, the UK government announced an unprecedented stimulus plan to cushion the economic blow from the coronavirus, including paying a portion of citizens' wages for the first time in our history. The economy has been placed on a wartime footing to support businesses and people affected, with Chancellor Rishi Sunak announcing a state-backed loan of at least £330 billion as the outbreak escalates. The Chancellor said the move would mean workers should be able to keep their jobs, even if their employer could not afford to pay them. He stated, These are unprecedented measures for unprecedented times. I know that people are worried about losing their jobs, about not being able to pay rent or mortgage, about not having enough set by for food or bills. To all those at home right now, anxious about the days ahead, I say this, you will not face this alone. I spoke to Jonathan Porters, Professor of Economics and Public Policy at King's College London, to try and understand how all of these measures will help keep our economy afloat. We've shut down large parts of the economy, which means we're not producing lots of stuff we normally produce. Lots of people who normally are at work, whether that's selling things or driving trains or simply working in in offices, um, are not doing what they're normally doing. So economic activity has has fallen by a lot. Where the economy is producing a lot less. What hasn't changed as much though is how much we're consuming, because the government has sort of stepped in already to support economic activity. If if it weren't for the actions that government has already taken, we would have seen hundreds of thousands of businesses go bust and millions and millions of people out of work. Now. We are already seeing businesses going bust, and we're certainly seeing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people going out of work. Um, But because government has stepped in and pumped money into businesses and pumped money into ensuring that businesses don't have to fire their workers, people haven't seen 
as sharp a drop in income as they otherwise would have done. You know, we're not in the Great Depression where we saw similar falls in output, but because unemployment benefits were lower, non-existent, people were starving or losing their homes. Government has so far stopped that happening. The impact is very large, but it's not as catastrophic as it could be because of the actions of government. And the question is, is really, how long does this last? Where do we go from here? Lots of people have been concerned about whether we're heading towards a recession. Here's what Jonathan had to say. Well, we're not heading towards one. Uh, We're already in a very deep recession. And indeed, um, so deep that arguably calling it a recession doesn't really make a lot of sense because it doesn't really compare to the last few recessions we've had. We think we don't know yet and we may never know because it's actually quite difficult to get reliable statistics on what's happening to the economy because uh, even the people who collect statistics have difficulty working at, at times like this. But we think that the economy at the moment may be operating at 20, 25, 30% less than its usual capacity. Now, that's probably at least four times as big a fall as we saw during the global financial crisis in 2008-9. Is there any indication on how quickly the economy could recover if things went back to normal, say, in a few months' time? If we are in a position in health terms to go back to something like normal, that is to say, a phased lifting of the restrictions beginning reasonably soon and proceeding over the next few months, then I don't think there should be too much stopping us going back to normal as far as the economy goes reasonably quickly. Why is that? Well, because COVID-19 will not have changed things fundamentally in terms of the economy. Uh, Will, you know, even if sadly some tens of thousands of us die, that's still a very small percentage of our overall workforce. In economic terms, it may be a human tragedy, but it doesn't change the shape of the economy. Similarly, all um, our physical capital, all our factories, our bridges, our transport links, they'll all still be there. This isn't a war. We're not destroying anything. All the stuff that produces things in the economy, people, physical capital, software, all those things will still be there after COVID-19 is gone. I therefore think that if this does only go on for a couple of months or so, the measures the government has put in place ought to let us bounce back pretty quickly. The risk is, in my view, that it goes on for much longer than that. And it goes to the point at which actually, no matter what the government does, you see that permanent damage. You know, if we go on for six months, well, the government can still guarantee loans, it can still pay people. But after six months, you will start seeing firms simply giving up the ghost and closing, you will see people drifting into long-term unemployment. Um, And then I think you do see quite a lot of permanent damage to the economy. If we can get through this reasonably quickly, that won't stop there being a very, very deep recession while it happens. That's inevitable. This very deep recession is, is happening now. And as I said, it's almost a deliberate element of policy. We shouldn't worry about the fact that output is falling so much at the moment. Um, that's what we what we want to happen. But uh, we want to be able to snap back when that is over. Um, and that is going to be more difficult the longer this goes on. There really isn't anything to worry about in the short term about running out of money. In the medium to long term, we probably will need higher taxes. That was true actually before this crisis, and it will still be true after this this crisis. In order to fund good quality public services in this country, taxes will need to be higher than they currently are. 
Um, but that is a problem for the medium or long term. It's not really the problem, uh, a problem stemming from this crisis. The wider implications of a nationwide lockdown on our economy may not be totally clear, but what about the way people are being affected on an individual level? I reached out to a contractor who works in resourcing, whose contract was due to end the day I spoke to her. I just don't really know where to start. You know, I don't know if the companies are hiring or, and if they're hiring, like when you would start, would it be a work from home basis? There's just a lot of unknowns. So that's been the biggest impact for me at the moment, just the kind of thought of what next. I'm not a freelancer and I'm not self-employed and I actually haven't seen that much information about if you're a contractor, you know, um, and there's so many different terminologies for, you know, types of employment. I'm, I'm not even sure if I fall under a, a contractor just because my, my roles tend to be more fixed term. Well, they have been for the last two years whilst I'm studying. I don't know what, what I don't know what category that places me in. I don't know if there's more kind of support available if you are out of work because of Corona. But because my contract was already due to, to end, I'm not really sure what position that leaves me in. Because it's, it hasn't ended because of corona, but because of corona, it's going to be difficult to find something else. I also spoke to Alex, who had quit his job after saving up money to travel. I'm currently in an okay position financially, and I'm now living at home and not having to pay rent. Uh, I'm worried about people who quit their job just before the crisis with the intention of finding another job shortly afterwards, um, but who still have to pay rent and don't have much in the way of savings. I think the government's financial plans and schemes are good. We definitely need a lot of money injecting into the economy to keep it going during the shutdown and for it to pick up once all this is over. I think the only problem is not providing enough support for people who are looking for jobs in what is currently a very difficult job market. This current financial uncertainty and the uncertainty around coronavirus, um, yeah, it's all making me feel pretty worried. Uh, I'm currently just applying for as many jobs as possible and hoping I get one soon. Shannon is 22 and works at a cinema chain on a zero-hour contract. She is confused as to what kind of compensation she's supposed to get. A few days after the cinema closed, all of us individually received phone calls from our manager to explain that we were all basically out of contract and we would all, we'd all lose our jobs basically going forward. They sent us an email basically saying, oh, you know that thing we said, about, you know, like a week ago about the fact that you're all fired and you don't have jobs anymore? Yeah, well, you know, the government's come out now and said that they're, they're going to pay your wages. So we basically retract that whole statement and you're all re-employed. <laughs> so we found out that we all still had our jobs and we would be getting the whole furlough 8% wage pay. We recently had another update saying that we'd get our first pay at the end of April. But again, none none of us have no idea how much we're going to get because obviously it's only 80% of what you earn and we're all in zero hours. So we don't have a set amount that we earn. Well, apparently they're going to work out on an average. They're going to go back and look through people's pay slips and their hours and roughly work out, you know, what they would have worked and how much they should earn, which is okay for some people because if it's within the last sort of six to 12 months, there are people that used to do a lot more hours and for the last few months haven't done as many and they're obviously hoping that it will average out nicely. But I really don't know. No one knows what we're going to earn or anything. I also had a chat with Nathaniel. As a workshop facilitator and speaker, his work heavily relied on group meetings. He talked about his experience of seeking support from the government. So I think my initial concerns were that 
would, would I be okay financially? Um, what does my life mean with no work? I feel like the government told everyone to sign up for universal credit without changing how universal credit operates. So there's still a big phone element to it as well. Um, you have to have like a confirmation call to confirm what's going to happen next. I don't know why I can't do it online. But when you, you take a system that's already bad and then tell the, you know, millions of people to then apply and use that system, obviously you're going to get problems. I saw an advert for the government digital service that was saying the best time. It shows the peak times of, of their online service, which is essentially 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. And you, I think it's quite responsible to advise people to like, oh, get up at four in the morning to apply for this thing. So if I'm honest, I'd kind of given up hope on that point because I couldn't get through on the phone to them for two weeks. And then they ended up calling me. I'll know how much support I'll get by the end of the month for that. You know, hopefully I can cover some, some, some of my living costs. But I think I'll get out of this whenever this ends, probably with no savings anymore. It's frustrating because my savings are already, already dwindling. But I kind of look at it like, oh, I'm just going to have to, you know, build them up again. Maybe not in the way that I wanted to, but I think that's kind of where I'm at in terms of finances in the future. So, so, you know, I'm freelance, my, my rate's going, going to go up. Um, the type of work I do is probably going to expand. It's very community focused. I can understand that there's going to be a bigger desire for that sort of thing, but also that I want to continue to help people with the work I do and I, and I can't actually do that without no income. I think people kind of dress up self-employed people as these people that avoid tax and earn loads of money when some are just earning like low, fairly low, relatively low wages. And as a result, you do live paycheck to paycheck just in a different way. Employees are not the only people struggling at this time. I spoke to Jess, who owns a cafe called 27 Elliots in Edinburgh. Well, first of all, I'm very grateful for the headlines that we could, you know, get 80% of our staff costs covered if people went onto furlough, that there'd be gro- like government grants, that we'd be able to access loans. Like I'm really impressed with the government's response to, to how they're going to help us. Um, and it's amazing if they're going to cover 80% of my team's wages. However, I've just paid the March payroll. So it was a full payroll, quite a lot of money. And for me, what's really critical at the moment is cash flow. So if I don't get that 80% back from the government and then I have to do the full April payroll, things are getting really quite tight financially. It's getting really scary. I'm trying to check in daily with my team just to show them that I still care about them and that I'm thinking about them and that they're still very much a part of a business. But yeah, I think chatting to them, they're just going through this emotional roller coaster. Because we do breakfast, I've already got a supply chain. I already buy in eggs and bread and milk. And I just hadn't really thought about it that much for using it for retail in here. So, yeah, what I quickly did was turned us into an essential shop. So I moved all of our dining tables together and it very much looks like a village hall. I've got signage up on the window about social distancing and making sure that only two customers come into the shop at one time and that everyone, you know, uses the appropriate space that they only use contactless payment. My locals are just so grateful that they can come and get what they need from me and help our local suppliers. I'm doing deliveries. So when we close the shop in the afternoon, we're running little packages around town so that if people are in isolation and they can't even come here on their 
on their walk of the day, then um, at least they can get something through the door that makes them smile. I'm just staying optimistic. I'm drinking lots of coffee, lots of wine. And um, yeah, I'm not going to go go out without a fight. So what can you do if you found yourself in a difficult financial situation because your income has been affected? Here's some advice from Emma Lunn, a personal finance journalist. Do you think it's beneficial for people to ask for help as early as possible? Yes, definitely. Um, it's never a good time to like stick your head in the sand about money problems, um, and especially not now. It's a lot easier to sort of deal with problems before they come up. I mean, the first thing I would do if I was struggling is to like redo my budget and take into account things like you're not going out. So you're not spending money on, you know, pubs and hobbies. All people should be spending on now is like rent, bills and food in most cases. Um, If you're struggling with your bills, the best thing to do is contact your provider and see if they can help you at all. They're able to help you sort of sort out affordable repayments and also check if you're on the best tariff for your needs. It's Possible you might be able to save money by switching to a different supplier or a different tariff. If you can't pay your council tax, you need to discuss that with a local council. You should see it as a priority bill and hopefully not miss a payment. UK Finance, which oversees um, banks and mortgage lenders, um, they've brought in a new rule saying that everyone can take a three-month mortgage payment holiday. Um, You don't have to prove that you're in financial difficulty, but you do have to contact your lender. So you can't simply just stop paying, but you will need to contact your lender and discuss it with them. If you're renting at the moment, um, your landlord is actually entitled to a three month mortgage payment holiday. So that's something you can use maybe to negotiate with your landlord if you're falling behind on your rent. So they can have a holiday. So you can kind of put it to them that maybe you could have a holiday as well and you'll make up the payments later. Bear in mind, whatever negotiations you have with your landlord, they can't evict you for three months. That is a new rule that the government have brought in since the, the virus took hold. And some may consider accessing their savings during this time. What are some of the concerns with that? If people have got savings, that's really good. And this is the exactly the kind of situation that savings are good for. A good thing that's come out of this is that many banks and building societies are sort of changing the rules on fixed term deposit accounts. So normally in those accounts, your money is tied up for a certain period of time. But if you ask your bank, they're saying you better access this money with no penalties. So you need to check with your individual bank or building society um, if they can help. Many people have been furloughed. Now, what does this mean? Furloughing is not the same as losing your job. It means you are still employed by your company. It helps. It's a scheme that helps pay your wages while you can't do your job. For example, if you couldn't go and work in a factory or something, you'll still get paid. But it's only 80% of your wages up to a maximum of um, £2,500 a month. Your company might want to top this up to 100% of your money, but that depends on the company. And it's all kind of done through your company. You won't have to do anything. They will tell you if you're being furloughed. At the moment, the scheme's running for three months from the 1st of March. So that takes us up till June. um, And it might be extended. We don't know at the moment. Things are a little bit more tricky if you're on a zero-hour contract. If you can't work, you will be entitled to statutory sick pay. But that's only £94.25 a week. To qualify for that, you need to have earned an average of at least £118 a week over the past eight weeks. One good thing, though, is the government's changed the rules a little bit for statutory sick pay. And you can claim it from, from day one. Uh, previously, you had to be sick for four days first. If you can't claim SSP, you might be able to claim um, universal credit instead. Universal credit is a type of benefit that was brought in over the last few years to replace um, other types of benefit into sort of one payment. How much you get depends on your personal circumstances and your age. Uh, There's different rates for being aged under 25 and over 25. 
and it's different rates if you're in a couple and both claiming um, and you're both under 25 or over. And it also depends on your savings. Um, so if you've got more than £16,000 in savings, you won't be able to claim universal credit, unfortunately. What are some of the best resources available for people to find out what they're entitled to at this time? Things like the government website is very up to date and they actually explain things really clearly. The Money Saving Expert website is, is great and that explains things in a really practical way that people um, find easy to understand. Uh, there's also the money sections of the national newspapers and then things like the Money Advice Service. Even though the government is pledging money to save different sectors hit worse by the crisis, the question is, will it be enough? On Wednesday, the government announced a £750 million package to support charities through the coronavirus pandemic. But organisations are warning this will not be enough to prevent some charities being forced to close. As part of the scheme, £360 million will be directly allocated by government departments to those charities. Another £370 million will go to small local charities, including those delivering food and essential medicines and providing financial advice. Tens of thousands of charities are expected to benefit, including hospices, St John's Ambulance and services for vulnerable children and domestic abuse victims. Macmillan Cancer Support Chief Executive Linda Thomas says the support doesn't go far enough. We're deeply concerned this commitment fails to recognise the scale of the challenge, she says. It won't prevent many of the nation's charities cutting the support they provide when it's needed most, or even being forced to close. Labour MP Stephen Doughty also says new funding falls well short of what is needed, pointing out that the cancellation of the London Marathon alone cost the sector £66 million. At the end of March, the National Council for Voluntary Organisations predicted that the charity sector would lose £3.7 billion of income over the preceding 12 weeks. Politicians and charity bosses have warned that this would result in a fall in support available to vulnerable people, such as the homeless and those with addiction problems, which would, in turn, put more pressure on the public. Admittedly, it's a scary time. With no real understanding about how long this virus will last, we have no way of predicting what's going to happen to global economies. But there are some positive community-led changes happening on the smaller scale in the meantime. The Guardian reports that in the UK, tens of thousands of people have joined community efforts to look after the most vulnerable in society by volunteering to buy or pick up shopping, deliver vital medicines and anything else they may need. Where governments are failing to provide a safety net, local communities are forming their own. This virus has also exposed some of the structural problems within our society when it comes to the underfunding of public services as well as vast inequality. Perhaps when the worst of this is over, living through a pandemic will make us reevaluate our views on the issues of public health funding, affordable housing, small businesses versus big businesses, and the not very radical concept of universal basic income. Clapping and appreciation is great, but we need to start having serious conversations about the funding and protection of key workers and vital services. I hope you enjoyed this special episode of Your Broccoli Weekly. Next week, you will hear the second part of our Windrush documentary. I've been your host, Tiora. 
You can find me on Twitter at The Diora. Credits of the clips used and information can be found on our website, www.yourbroccoliweekly.com. You can join the conversation and share views using the hashtag YourBroccoliWeekly. If you liked what you heard, why not give us a rating and review on your favourite podcast app? And if you loved what you heard, tell your friends. Your Broccoli Weekly is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Pocket Casts and all your favourite apps. This special episode of Your Broccoli Weekly was produced by Cass Denton with help from B. Duncan and me. This is a Broccoli Production. <laughs>